thoughts are all against me I'm ready to go Burning it down They ain't noticed Till the temperature rose Bless the energy Then we erupt in a blaze Mama save us I swear the baby's lately crazy Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster And you're listening to Sorceress A weekly podcast of awesome Serialized urban fantasy fiction Written by amazing authors Performed for you by professional narrators And brought to you by SerialAudio.com It's totally binge-worthy Chapter 27 Looks like they don't have the sense to get up here, Israel said as he looked back down at the theater roof and the street beyond. There were maybe a hundred squidheads roaming about and occasionally hissing at one another. Israel tingled with the first vestiges of the hunger, like fleshy termites crawling around just beneath his skin. He tried not to notice. They're vicious, Stone said, but not all that bright. Easy enough to avoid if they aren't swarming. They were settled on the roof three stories above the street. Aaron and Stone had both sat down and were taking a few minutes to compose themselves. Aaron had stopped crying and was sitting with her head down and her eyes closed. She seemed angry at herself for the display of emotion, and Israel figured she was just trying to get her feelings in order. Stone was about as expressive as his namesake. They were both scratched and battered from the fight. Aaron's clothes were torn, and she had a long line of three parallel scratches along one side of her neck. She had lost whatever was holding her hair into a ponytail, and it fell in long waves just past her shoulders. Stone was in about the same condition, with two long scratches that ran from his forehead and over his nose. His lower lip was split and had bled into his beard, leaving a dark patch on his chin. Israel tried to ignore the pleasant coppery aroma he was giving off. He turned and stared down the row of rooftops leading west through the town. Can we go now? Aaron asked. We are literally stumbling around in the dark here. We're not any good to anybody. We can't, Stone said. Not until we're sure it's too late. We can't even see where we're going, Stone, and we're surrounded by those damned things. She gestured toward the street. In my book, that's a no-profit scenario. Aaron, Stone said. I want to thank you. There was a moment of silence while that hung in the dark air. Israel continued staring over the top of the town at the distance. He squinted a little at what he thought he might be seeing there. This should be good, Aaron said. Thank me for what? I mean it, Stone said. You had every right and reason to disappear on us back down on that street. You could have taken me or just gone yourself in the blink of an eye, but you didn't. You stayed the line and faced the enemy until what looked to be the bitter end, and for that, Aaron Sims, you will always have my deepest respect, despite any disagreements we may have. That said, though, I need more from you. Every moment we sit here, the progeny are potentially killing another victim, just like they would have killed you and Israel, and with every death they grow closer to summoning something that... I'm not entirely sure this world is equipped to fight. We're talking millions of lives at stake here, Aaron. Potentially billions. 
The things that live in the inner dark are the literal doom of this planet. They are the nightmares made flesh on the scale of a skyscraper. That is why we're here, Aaron. Not for this town or for the poor souls caught in the progeny's net, but for this world. I need you to stay the line again, Aaron. You are an unexpected and unequaled asset in this fight, and could very well be the difference between victory and defeat. Aaron took it all in silently. She held that silence for a moment and then groaned. Screw you, Stone. What? Stone said. Screw you. Screw you for that little speech and screw you for making it work. What do we do now? We're still blind and stuck on a roof. Maybe not, Israel said. Stand up, guys. They did as he asked, and he said, I'm going to grab you by the shoulders and face you in the same direction, so don't freak out. Israel gently turned them both in the same westward direction he'd been studying. Look hard, he said. Can you see it? Israel watched as they studied the darkness. I got nothing, Aaron said. Same here, Stone said. Israel cursed softly. I thought you might see it. Okay, look, this street runs another, hell, I don't know, a couple of football field lengths. Then the buildings end and there's a big hill. The road curves to the left around the base of the hill, but I swear I see a really strange dim glow coming from the other side of that hill. You're certain? Stone said. Ninety-five percent, Israel said. Good enough. Now we just need to get there, which is a bit of a problem since the street is off limits. The fire thing worked, Aaron said. I mean, I saw it enough to get us up here. Indeed, Stone said. Israel, do you think you can go rooftop to rooftop and guide Aaron with the light? Go over a few buildings, then signal us and she can follow with me? I think so. The buildings are all close together and I don't see any squids on them. It should work. Don't get too far ahead, though, Aaron said. I barely saw the light from the street. Israel nodded. On Stone's instruction, they spent a minute working out exactly to what side of the light and how far above it Aaron would aim for so that they had some consistency to the plan and to make sure that Israel left them an empty space to appear in. Once that was done, he turned and started for the edge of the roof. He was just about to jump down to the next building when Aaron said, Hey, Izzy. Yeah, Israel said. Running and jumping across rooftops like this? You sure you don't want a cape and a mask? Bite me, Sims, Israel said as he stepped off and into the dark. The plan worked better than Israel had expected. It took them twenty minutes and six teleports, but at the end of it they were on top of a two-story building looking at a hill whose base was about fifty feet from the building they were on. Israel could see the glow clearly now and asked his companions if they noticed any difference. Only just, Stone said. It's just a lighter shade of dark. I wouldn't go so far as to call it light. Yeah, Aaron said. I still can't see it well enough to pull us over there. Israel looked back down the street toward town. In the distance, he could still see the squid heads wandering about. None of them seemed to have made their way to this end of the town yet. Looks like all the squids think we're still back there, he said. There aren't any I can see below us. That you can see, Stone said. Assume they're in the places you can't. You think they took the whole town? Aaron asked. 
Likely not, Stone said. There's always a few with the sense and instincts to hole up and hide when the monsters come knocking. Could be some in this very building. Best thing we can do for them is to end this madness. Okay, Israel said. So I guess I make a run for the hilltop and do the fire thing again. Watch yourself, Stone said. Be fast and quiet. If they come at you again, try to get back up to us. Israel gave him a nod and dropped off the roof. It was dirt from that point forward, and he made his way across dry soil and rough desert grass as quietly as he could manage. When he reached the top of the hill, he paused for a second and looked out over the scene below before lighting the last strip of his jacket and waving it for Aaron to see. As soon as she and Stone were next to him, he dropped it and stomped out the flaming fabric, making sure it was fully extinguished. He watched the town for a full minute, making sure no squidheads had seen them, and then said, It looks good. I think we're clear. He joined Aaron and Stone. They were staring out from the top of the hill toward a small valley that stretched for what must have been miles to another range of large hills. Immediately below them was an old three-story L-shaped structure of some kind, with loading docks at the back and tall brick smokestacks at either end. Light the color of a fresh bruise glowed from every window and lit up the area around the building, bathing the few vehicles that were parked nearby in distorted, unnatural shadows. It was as though the air itself was glowing with the sick light. Are you guys seeing this? Israel asked. Yeah, Aaron said. It kind of makes me want to go back into town. Stone was staring with an expression of suppressed panic on his face. We are well and truly at the sharp end of the spear here, mates. This is very, very bad, and I'd be lying if I said anything else. Whatever is happening down there has to stop, and I mean right now. He ground his teeth together and turned to Israel. You're with me. We're going to go down there and see what's what. Aaron, you watch from here. If it looks like things have gone pear-shaped on us, you get back to Silver Sky and tell Olivia what we've seen. Tell her I said to crater this place as soon as humanly possible. Fuck that, Aaron said. I'm coming with you. I can help. No, Stone snapped. You're not. You're our only means of getting word outside of this place. If you get ambushed or accidentally appear in the path of a bullet or something, then we lose that. It's imperative the rest of Sentry knows what's happening here. But no, Stone said, his tone unflinching. You agreed to follow my orders, and this is the one you absolutely must. Give us about half an hour. If you haven't heard from us by then, do what you have to do. How about I just go now and come back with some help? Trust me, I'll remember this fucking place forever. Stone shook his head. No, we can't risk it. So far, we've managed with you making short jumps within the breach's sphere of influence, but there's never been one this big before. It nearly wiped out every instrument on Black's plane, and as near as I can tell, nothing electrical is functioning inside this blackness, not to mention the whole lightning issue. There's no guarantee that you could get back into this mess once you're out, assuming you can get out at all. We just don't know enough about how all of this or your power works. If we can shut this down ourselves, we need to, but if we can't, Olivia'll have to involve the military, and that'll level everything around us, including whatever survivors are back in that town. Please, Aaron, just do as I say. Thirty minutes, then make your move. Well, how am I supposed to time thirty minutes? Count to five thousand slowly, Israel said. 
It won't be exact, but it should get you in the ballpark. Aaron's face was pinched with disapproval, but she nodded. Right then, Stone said. Mr. Trent, let's go save the world. Israel looked at Stone and then at Aaron. With a smile, he said, I really didn't think people actually said shit like that. Oh, for just come on, you cheeky bastard, Stone said as he started down the slope. The building was a hundred yards or so from the base of the hill, and they crossed it in silence, staying as low as they could. They took cover behind a dark SUV and tried to take in the scene. Damn it, Stone said. This light is still screwing with my vision. Tell me what you can see. Israel looked around and said, There's a short set of stairs leading up to a door over to the right. Two loading bays, windows all the way up, nobody that I can see. I'm not sure what else to tell you. That's about what I saw, Stone said. Colors are all screwy. It's blending everything together. Very strange, like an acid trip. Israel blinked. What? Stone looked up at Israel and smirked. Don't look at me like that, youngster. I lived through the 60s and 70s on this world. I enjoyed it as much as anyone in that generation. Israel took a beat to process the words, then he said, So you're really from someplace else? John wasn't just talking out of his ass? Yes, I am, and no, he wasn't. Get over it, though. We got work before us. If we survive it, I'll tell you the story myself. Israel nodded. That's a deal. Stone pulled the handgun from his thigh holster and handed it to Israel. That is a forty-five caliber baby desert eagle. It has ten rounds in the clip and one in the pipe. It will put a respectable hole in just about anything you shoot with it. It's got a kick, but... You're strong enough that it shouldn't matter. I really hope you don't actually expect me to hit anything with this. I told you, I'm not a shooter. I know, trust me though, just pointing that thing will slow any sane person down. Also, it makes for a good distraction even if you miss. Just take it. Better to have it and not need it than the other way around. If you do have to shoot something, just get as close as you can and aim for center mass. You're the boss. Israel said as he shoved the pistol into his belt at the small of his back. He adjusted his belt until it fit snugly and seemed secure enough. What's the plan? I'm going to head for the top floor windows. I'll have a better field of fire from up there. As soon as I'm in, you follow through one of the loading bays. Most of these old buildings were open to the ground from the upper floors, so I'll get to a position where I can see you. If I see something dangerous that you don't, I'll signal you. That'll give us away, but better that than walking into a squid nest. Stone checked the clip on his submachine gun once more and then said, Ready? About that, Israel said. No offense, but you don't strike me as much of a climber, being height-challenged and all. Stone grinned. Don't worry about me, mate. There's a reason they named me Stone. Remember, as soon as I'm in, you move. Israel nodded. Stone gave him a reassuring wink and moved in a low crouch for the side of the building, eyes down the subgun's sights and sweeping before him in a searching arc. When he reached the building, he dropped the weapon onto its sling and knelt down on one knee. Israel watched in confusion as Stone placed one hand flat against the ground and closed his eyes in concentration. Soft and comprehensible words drifted over to Israel, and he felt the slightest shudder in the ground beneath him. 
Suddenly, Stone stood up as a column of dirt, rocks, and debris two feet in diameter started forming at his feet. It drew in from around him, creating a dimple in the earth that collected at his feet and grew, lifting him up until he was level with the upper windows. He lightly stepped from his platform of desert earth and through a window that was little more than a rusted-out frame. As soon as he was in, the column of earth fell in on itself and back into the small crater it had left behind. Israel stared dumbfounded at the mount of dirt that marked Stone's passing. He glanced back toward Aaron, wondering if she'd seen it, and then back to the mound. All right, he said to no one. That was pretty damn cool, and headed for the loading bays. Chapter 28 Israel slipped into the building, being as quiet and invisible as he could manage. The purple-brown light suffused everything and cast sickly shadows between the clutter of old barrels, machinery, and collapsed steel catwalks. Israel found a place that was out of sight and spent a few minutes studying the main chamber. It was a mess, but he couldn't see any obvious threats. Debris filled the space, but he could make out a path through it that led to the far side of the room. He could try to go over the debris as an alternative, but it didn't look stable and would likely make him easier to see if there were any squid heads lurking around. Trusting that Stone would give him a heads up should there be any lurking danger, he moved through the clutter toward the far wall. The path was fairly well laid out, weaving around the largest pieces of machinery and opening up near the center of the room. He was halfway through the open space when he heard a loud click and the sudden metallic screech of multiple large springs releasing their waiting tension. Israel saw the spears coming, six of them, long, narrow, and rusty with tips that had been freshly ground to shiny needle points. They shot at him from six different angles, trailing thin steel cables in their wake. Israel moved fast, dodging away from the spears as best he could, contorting his body like a snake, but... There were just too many coming too fast. One spear pierced his left hand and went on to penetrate a thinner piece of metal behind it, holding fast with a cable running through Israel's palm. A second one went through his thigh and clattered against the floor, not sticking into anything but trailing a line of steel through his leg. The other spears didn't go through him but ripped his clothing and left long cuts on his face and chest. Some of those stuck, too, and left tight steel cables pressing against his skin and impeding his movement. There was no pain, but a stab of panic rushed through him. He started tugging at the spear that had pierced his hand when he heard a familiar voice say, Uh-uh-uh, freak. Hands off the spear. We like you just like that. Israel looked back to his right as Carmine Screed came strolling out from behind one of the larger pieces of machinery. He held a taser casually in one hand. The other carried a heavy length of rusty pipe. He looked at Israel like a man deciding what to order from a menu. Well, Israel said, look at you all up and about. How'd you manage that? Unlike you, I didn't have to turn into a zombie freak to heal fast. Israel judged the distance between them. Between the cables piercing his flesh and the ones blocking his path, there was no way he could reach Carmine before getting shot. Well, he said, hoping to keep him talking long enough for Stone to intervene, at least you didn't call me the N-word. Some shit goes without saying, Carmine said, 
a sneer crossing his face. See, now you're just being a hater. Carmine shrugged. It's what I do. Now, I have to make a decision. See, the seer and my brother, they want me to use this. He held up the taser so that the seer can make you a part of the party he's got going on downstairs. But me? I'm more inclined to take this pipe and reduce your head into a nice, gooey pile of brain pudding. Decisions, decisions. What am I to do? Carmine bounced both objects in his hands as though he were comparing their weight. Israel's mind raced over his options and found it to be a short track. Where the hell was Stone? He thought back over what he'd learned about Carmine from the fight in Atlanta and the phone they had taken from him. The thought of the phone made him glance at the taser. He let a grin cross his face. It figures, he said with a chuckle. What's that? Carmine said. All this, Israel said, nodding at the cables. I get it. After the ass-kicking I gave you in Atlanta, you figured you had to trap me like this to get the upper hand. I understand, man. You gotta do what you gotta do, especially with your brother and boss looking over your shoulder all the time. Israel kept a smile on his face as he watched Carmine's face darken and his jaw tighten. The only thing that saved you in Atlanta was that slut girlfriend of yours showing up and doing whatever the hell it was she did. Bitch, please, Israel said. I was all ready to knock your punk ass off me when she showed up. It was kind of fun watching you bounce off that truck, though. Carmine's breath was coming in short, angry bursts. What the hell did she do to me? That's not my secret to tell. Oh, and just for the record, we aren't a couple. Carmine raised the taser and pointed it at Israel's chest. There you go, Israel said. Gotta do what the boss says. I guess he already figured you can't take me without it. It's cool, man. Somebody's gotta ride in the bitch seat, right? Carmine took a step toward Israel. His hand gripped the taser so tight that it trembled just a little. I know what you're trying to do, freak, Carmine said. You're trying to piss me off so I'll do you quick instead of giving you to the seer. Oh, you mean like you did in Atlanta? Because, seriously, I was just getting warmed up back there. Breaking your nose was just the appetizer. Fuck you, Carmine said and pulled the taser's trigger. Nothing happened. Israel laughed. I see why you need Jordan and the seer now, because, man, you are a special kind of stupid. Electronics aren't working right now. Carmine flung the useless weapon away and raised the pipe, rushing toward Israel. There was no time to be smart or subtle. Israel yanked down hard with his left hand. The cable cut through his flesh and left a gaping slash that ran from the center of his palm and up between his two middle fingers. Those two fingers twitched and spasmed as he turned to meet Carmine's charge. The cables that were strung around him got in the way, but Israel managed to block Carmine's attack by slamming his left forearm into Carmine's descending wrist. Carmine's left hand flashed around for a punch, but Israel caught his fist with his right hand and held it fast. They stood that way for a moment, each straining against the other's strength. Israel struggling to keep his footing amid a tangle of cables and four-foot metal spears. Carmine cursed and did a quick weight shift to his rear foot. He raised his leading leg in a fast kick that caught Israel flat in the center of his sternum and sent him flying backward. Cables snapped away from the spears they were welded to and bones cracked under the blow. 
Israel hit a huge piece of old machinery that consisted mostly of a large gear of some sort. He felt more bones crack as he rebounded off it, but there was no pain and he still seemed to be able to move. This was good because Carmine was barreling his way with the pipe in a two-handed grip. Israel ducked low and rolled under the blow, which came down in a whistling arc and sent up a cloud of rust when it hit the giant gear and rang like a broken bell. Israel came up behind and to Carmine's left. He snaked his right arm around Carmine's neck and hooked his left arm around the other man's left. Carmine planted his feet and tried to swing the pipe behind him, but the angle was just too awkward. The pipe clattered to the floor as Carmine abandoned it and sent his elbow backwards in a quick, vicious jab. Israel managed to avoid most of the elbow strike and keep his forearm gripped on Carmine's neck. When all was said and done, though, Israel was a man who'd spent his life training to be a journalist and an investigator. Carmine was a fighter, a killer, born and bred. Carmine turned his chin into Israel's elbow and in the blink of an eye had slipped out of Israel's chokehold and hooked his right arm under Israel's shoulder. He shifted his hips in front of Israel and bent over in a fast, smooth motion. Israel flipped through the air and landed hard on his back at Carmine's feet. Any other man would have had the wind knocked out of him, providing a moment's disorientation that Carmine could use to completely pin him. Israel didn't stun that easily, though, so when Carmine tried to hold him down, he only managed to pin Israel's right arm and hold down the other with his free hand rather than his knee. Israel clamped onto Carmine's right wrist with his injured left hand. They struggled like that, each trying to get an advantage on the other. This is normally the part, Carmine said, his voice strained with exertion, where I would choke you to death. Guess I'll have to snap your neck, though. Israel kept silent, his left arm trembling with exertion. He saw the wound on his hand. It was already starting to mend, but was still a long gash between the fingers. Thick, nearly black blood oozed from it and coated his hand. The blood triggered a thought, and Israel looked at the killer looming over him. You should have done more homework, Israel said. Why, Carmine said through gritted teeth. Because I'm a necrophage, shithead. That means I'm contagious. Israel released his grip on Carmine's wrist and flashed his hand to the other man's face. He caught the side of his head and jammed his thumb deep into Carmine's right eye. He squeezed until he felt something pop. Carmine screamed and threw himself off of Israel, both hands clutching at his face, his body contorting in pain. He screamed and writhed like a man on fire, rubbing at the ruined eye socket, everything but his agony forgotten. Israel watched the spectacle for a moment while he pulled the broken steel cable out of his thigh. Deep inside him somewhere, there was an aspect of his personality that shouted to help the man, that said standing by while others suffered was not who he was, no matter who the other person happened to be. Indifference won out, though, and he bent to retrieve the pipe from where Carmine had dropped it, intent on ending this man for good. Trent! The shout came from above him, and he looked up. Jordan was standing on a rusted catwalk with stone. The smaller of the Screed brothers had one pistol to Stone's head and another in the hand he was using to wave at Israel. That hand disappeared behind Stone when Jordan spoke again. What did you do to my brother, Israel? Nothing he wouldn't have done to me. Jordan shrugged. Okay, fair enough. 
So it looks like we have ourselves a situation here. I guess so, Israel said. Look, Jordan said, can I be straight with you? Because I want to be straight with you. Here's the thing. When I signed on for this, I figured the whole old gods from the inner dark thing was just your standard religious bullshit, you know? Yeah, the seer awakened us and all that, but still, it was all pretty nuts, right? What's happening here, though, is some next-level crazy, and I don't think I'm down with it. You regret hooking up with a doomsday cult. Imagine that. I know, right? Anyway, here's the deal. I'm ready to cut losses and get out of Dodge, so you let Carmine and me walk out of here, and I'll tell you what you need to know to shut all this down. Why not just show me? Hell, help me. Don't trust this wanker, Israel, Stone said. Hey, what did I tell you about talking? Jordan said, grinding the pistol at Stone's head into the sentry agent's temple. Easy, Jordan, Israel said. Just let my friend go and help us shut this down. Jordan laughed. That's not happening. I don't trust you, you don't trust me, and frankly, the only thing I really care about is getting out of here with my brother. World goes to shit, that's fine, but I kind of prefer it the way it is. I'm a sucker for modern luxuries. Plus, and this is a bonus, agree and I won't blow a half dozen holes in Agent Stumpy here. Carmine had stopped screaming, but was still kneeling on the floor, clutching at his face. Israel looked at him and said, Get out of here, Carmine. Carmine dropped his hands and looked at Israel. His right eye socket was a pulp of blood and gore. Clear, thick fluid ran in a tiny sheet down his face, and through it all were the thin lines of black that Israel recognized from his injured hand. Look what you did to me, you fuck, he screamed. I'm gonna rip you apart. The screaming obviously hurt because Carmine groaned again and put his hands back over his eye. Israel watched him in silence. Not today, Carmine, Jordan called down. We need to roll, bro. This thing is going south fast. It burns, Carmine shouted. We'll deal with it, Jordan said. Get moving, Carmine, you know where to go. Carmine climbed to his feet with pained, shaking movements. He looked at Israel with his hands covering the injured side of his face. His good eyes stared a line of burning hate straight through the necrophage. Without another word, Carmine turned and disappeared into the tangle of debris. Israel faced Jordan. Your turn. The seer is through that door, Jordan said, nodding toward the back of the room. He went on to explain what he knew about the ritual and how it worked. You take out the seer and it stops, I think. You think? That's the best I got, Trent. I'm not a mage. I just know that the seer is the only guy down there. Stop him and it's done. Fine, if that's it, let Stone go and get out of here, Israel said. Yeah, remember when I said I didn't trust you? I need to make sure you aren't gonna follow us. The pistol at Stone's back fired three times. Israel watched the man's body jerk with each report and slump forward onto the rusted railing. Israel screamed in rage as the railing broke under Stone's weight and he fell from the catwalk toward a tangle of discarded metal machinery. Israel surged forward as fast as he could and leapt into the air. He caught stone ten feet off the floor and, with enough momentum to carry them both through one of the large windows that lined the building. What little glass there was shattered around them as the aged frame collapsed under their combined weight and exploded into the desert night. 
Israel twisted in midair and managed to take most of the impact when they hit the ground. He moved at a panicked pace, checking stone for a pulse and checking his wounds. Blood soaked the front of his shirt. The scent of it lit a fuse in Israel, and he mentally recoiled at the sudden urge he felt to taste the crimson fluid. He clamped down on his impulses and focused on his fingers at Stone's neck. There was a pulse there, but it wasn't a strong one. He put one arm under Stone's back and the other under his knees, lifting him easily. He ran around the side of the building toward the SUVs they'd taken cover behind earlier. He knew Aaron could see them from here, and he shouted her name. I'm here, she said from behind him. He turned to her and saw her take a hesitant step away from him. Holy shit, she said. The screeds ambushed us. Stone's been shot, Israel said, his voice thick. Okay, I see that, but is he? You don't look good, man. You're freaking me out. Don't worry about me, he said as he placed Stone on the ground. The injured man was muttering something through blood-flecked lips. I'm Thurlin Thrain, stone caller of House Ironbrow, and I will not yield, he whispered. I am Thurlin Thrain, stone caller of House Ironbrow, and I will not yield. I am... What the hell is that? Aaron said. A mantra? Look, you need to get him back to Silver Sky. He's in a bad way, Aaron. I get that, but what if he was right? What if I can't get back? You'll be out here alone. Israel shook his head. He could smell them both now, a savory musk under the metallic tang of fresh blood. If you can't get back, you tell Olivia to do whatever she has to do. We can't let this thing go down without a fight. Aaron nodded. Okay, but I'm taking him back to Carter. He can help him. Why? Israel snapped, an unintentional growl coming into his voice. Because distance matters, Aaron said her intensity a match for his. The farther I go, the harder it is. It might make a difference when I try to come back. Israel tightened his jaw against the hunger and nodded. Just go. He's going to die. What about you? Israel turned his glare back toward the old meatpacking plant. I'm going to go end this shit. When he looked back, Aaron and Stone were gone. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sorceress as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Cause we warriors. Cause we warriors. Let's go.